Welcome to the 11th Hour, the Engage Work Faith podcast, which seeks to answer the question, what is the Christian perspective on work and how does it intersect with faith? We do this by sharing conversations with workers from South Australia on a whole range of topics that are central to the sphere of work. Hello, it's Darren from Engage Work Faith back on the 11th Hour podcast and today I'm joined by Adelaide-based worker and network regular, Andy. Hi Andy, how are you going? Good, thank you Darren, how are you? Yeah, going well, thanks. Now I better explain to you why I've got you on and explain for our listeners why you're here today. There's a reason for this podcast. There's a bit of a buzz around our office at the moment and it's because our upcoming AI event is only three weeks away. It's on the 2nd of June. And that has spurred some investigation from me. It's, I'll put a bit more thought into it. But I realise there's still a lot of questions I've got. There's still a lot of things I don't know about this subject. So I thought you might be able to help me um, just brushing up on this topic. Help me get up to speed a little bit. And that'll help me before I get down to Lot 14 on North Terrace there on the night. So I've done a bit of research on the, on the venue. And Lot 14's got some interesting groups down there. There's the Australian Space Agency... Um, do you know any of the other names down there? The Australian Institute for Machine Learning, oh, okay. which is there one that really excites me. Yes, there we go. Um, and there's another one that I like just because of the name. It's called Splunk. And um, I think it's a great name for a company. They say that Splunk is the world's first data-to-everything platform Ooh. designed to remove the barriers between data and action so that everyone thrives in the data age. And I think thriving the data age sounds pretty good to me. So... As much as I love working with Cheryl and Simon and the rest of the team, I think I need to keep my options open here, Andy, <laughs> in case on the night I get a tap on the shoulder from one of these companies. Um, and that sounds unlikely, uh, but as motivational speaker and author Zig Ziglar once said, success occurs when opportunity meets preparation. So I figure this is a win-win because if nothing else, I'll be more informed, more informed about this field of artificial intelligence and I might better understand the panellists on the night. So either way, it's a mini success in its own right. Um, so I'm glad I've got you here today to help me fast track um, a boosting of my intelligence. So I'm going to pepper you with a few questions. Um, so thanks again, Andy, for joining me. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about what your interest is in artificial intelligence? Absolutely. Thanks very much, Darren. So I'm a data scientist. Um, I've been working as a data scientist for approximately five years now. And we have conversations in our data science team at work quite often about artificial intelligence because data science and artificial intelligence are very much related but I think one of the key things about artificial intelligence is we need to define what it is precisely. There's a lot of science fiction and um, some, I think, somewhat well-placed concerns around what artificial intelligence could do in the future. But we need to be, we need to be clear when we're talking about these things as to what, it, what our terms exactly are. So with artificial intelligence, I like to differentiate between narrow artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence. Okay, so I've heard a couple of these terms as I've been researching. So I'm glad I've got you here today because um, in reading it's been pointed out to me that a lot of the terms seem to overlap with our, our common language and um, our common usage in English. And that might give us a different impression of what the terms mean. Is that kind of what you were saying as well? Absolutely. So you've got terms like machine learning, you've got deep learning, you've got neural networks, which um, the terminology comes from neurons in the brain. 
So there, are, there is a lot of terminology that you might think you understand what it means, but a neural network, mathematically speaking, is very different to what we might understand from a neuron in the brain. So I think there is, there is a, lot, a lot that can be cleared up, absolutely. Yeah, and I think deep learning is something that my parents were hoping was happening when I was at high school, but I don't think it did. And it means something very different in the context of uh, artificial intelligence. Um, so can you give us a little bit of a primer for non-tech people like me? Um, what is machine learning then? And is AI just machine learning or is it bigger than that? To answer your second question first, I think AI is bigger than machine learning, but it certainly includes machine learning. So machine learning, you might think of it as glorified pattern recognition. So one example of machine learning is if you've got your Apple iPhone, I think Android phones have the equivalent, you can unlock that phone by looking into the camera and the phone will do facial recognition. And if the face that is coming up on the camera is sufficiently similar to the face that is stored in the memory of the phone, then you unlock your phone. If it's not sufficiently similar, then you won't unlock your phone. And the way that that works is it's running a machine learning algorithm and seeing if the patterns in your face are sufficiently similar to the patterns in the face that you've previously recorded. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's comparing the two um, pictures, as it were. Um, and have you ever implemented and, and sort of got hands-on with this machine learning concept in what you do? Absolutely. So in my work, I've implemented a number of machine learning algorithms. Um, you basically write code in a similar way as you would to code a computer to do anything. So you're, bas you're basically telling a computer using, using the instructions that the computer understands to um, run this algorithm to perform a series of calculations, as it were, um, and give you the output that you need to, to implement the algorithm. Okay. And I know a tiny bit about the world of development and so forth. Is it using sort of some existing frameworks, some existing sort of toolbox items you have at your disposal and that helps you put your idea into practice? Is that kind of what's going on? At the end of the day, machine learning algorithms for the most part rely on quite fundamental mathematical operations, but it's only in the last few decades that we've really had the computing power to be able to run these machine learning algorithms on large data sets and come out with accurate predictions. Um, okay. So it's less about the technical nature of the algorithms and more about the computing power that we've had to operate them. Okay, that makes sense. And you've already mentioned Google and um, Apple face recognition. That's some of the things I think about when I think AI, because they're quite prominent. But am I coming across AI more regularly than I realise? I suppose it depends on the extent to which you use technology in your life. For me personally, I don't use a smartphone and so I've intentionally chosen to uh, remove myself from some of those applications. But if you've got items like HomePods or um, the Google Home equivalent or um, the Amazon equivalent, then voice recognition is um, something that you're using on a regular basis, which certainly uses AI to convert the wavelengths of the sounds that you're recording into digital words, um, if they're similar enough, again, using that glorified pattern recognition idea that I spoke about earlier, to translate those, those sound waves into commands that the, that the computer within those devices then follows. And what about when I sort of leave the house or I leave my smartphone behind and I enter my neighbourhood or enter the city streets, 
am I going to bump into AI in that sort of scenario when I wouldn't realise or, or is it mostly around my use of personal tech devices? I'm just trying to think. Most of, most of the applications that I've thought of that you'd regularly use are within your own technology. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful just to get a sort of a picture of when I'm bumping into AI. Um, and it sounds like I'm mostly on the right track, so you've been helpful there. So it sounds like you're quite into AI and implementing AI as part of your work. But what about um, for fun or just for interest? Is there a, um, an interest in AI on that level as well? I don't know whether I'd call this AI as such, but I've certainly, I certainly program in my spare time and I've um, come up with automations and visualisations that, for example, um, help me to track my time. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call that AI though, but I am, I am a fairly big nerd. As I said, I did, I did do some programming in my spare time when I was on holidays from work. Yeah, those are all good signs that you're a tech person through and through. Is there a particular book or movie? I should ask first, actually. Like, are you a book person generally or a movie person? I'm very much a book person. I can't actually remember the last time I watched a movie. Books, I love reading them. I read, um, I read for 30 hours, sorry, 30 minutes, not 30 hours each morning. That would be, <laughs> that would be impossible, wouldn't it? Um, 30 minutes each morning. And I recently read um, John Lennox's book, 2084, which is a book that I really love. Um, it's only one that I read recently, but in it he talks a lot about artificial intelligence or AI, and I was really fascinated to hear his insights on the topic. Okay, good. I haven't read that one yet, but it's, it's on my long list of books I should read. So when thinking about AI and perhaps in your reading of 2084, what excites you about the future prospects of artificial intelligence? I think artificial intelligence has a massive capacity to increase the quality of human life. One example that comes to mind from the medical field is it's been shown that artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms, again, this idea of glorified pattern recognition, can better detect cancer in radiography images than even the best doctors. And I think something like that is quite a simple but profound example of using artificial intelligence or machine learning to give better medical outcomes, better prognoses for, for patients that may have cancer and better detecting those cancers. Yeah, and I guess that's due to the strength of the processing power, like you were saying before, that the, um, the computing power is now so much greater. Is that what's playing into that ability? I think both the strength of the processing power and also... As more and more machine learning algorithms are developed and as they're developed such that they become more and more accurate, I think that's playing into it as well. I'll just throw this question in there and see what you make of it. Uh, Susan's been looking at a book recently about, uh, it's actually sort of to do with more the, the robotic side, robots and artificial intelligence. And it's actually a fictional book and it's called Machines Like Me. Susan's actually done a little book review on it in our, um, our library online at engageworkfaith.org.au and the concept of machines like me is that in fictional form that navigates the possibility of a human robot living with humans. Why do you think people might be fascinated with that idea? The first thing that came to mind for me was the TV show The Jetsons which I'm probably showing my age here to some extent 
But for me, if I, if I had a robot that could do all my chores, I think that'd be pretty awesome. It'd save a lot of time and just improve my quality of life as, as a whole. If I had a robot that could go and do the shopping for me, that'd be pretty awesome as well. I think on, a, on an even bigger scale, I think people have this idea, some people at least, that we might be able to use robots and this broader idea of artificial intelligence, um, by contrast with the narrow idea that I've already spoken about, to extend not only their quality of life, but also extend their lifespan by orders of magnitude or even, um, as one author has put it, eventually get rid of death as a whole, which is a fascinating idea as well. Yeah, that's right. Sort of the idea of upgrading us as humans so that we live longer and perhaps even reach your mortality. But I've noticed with um, Susan's book that she's been reviewing here, it's a common theme to talk about our relationship with perhaps robots. And do you think that speaks to more of the technology side of it or perhaps our desire for companionship and relationship? I think there's a massive loneliness epidemic in today's society. And maybe that's been exacerbated by the recent pandemic where people have had to isolate in ways that we haven't seen since probably the previous pandemic, namely the Spanish flu. And so I think people talking about robots as companions, I'd say personally it's probably a function of that more so than the technology side of things. Yeah, it does seem to be a, a means of you know, meeting our basic needs, doesn't it? Um, but I think your dream of having someone clean the house as a robot is, is perhaps closer at this, this moment. We talked about some of the hopeful factors of human companionship, perhaps in the future, or even increased um, longevity of life. We talked about the dreams of immortality. What about the ideas that scare us a little bit or make us nervous? Are there any things in um, the artificial intelligence field that make you more nervous for the future? Yeah, that's a really good question, Darren. The first thing that came to mind, which I think is one of the most widely espoused things that can make us nervous about AI is this fear that it will lead to mass unemployment, that it will take a whole bunch of jobs. I don't think that's something we should be nervous about, though. Is I think that there's because a, you you work in the right field, though, and so. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so. Although I will grant that that bias is a possibility. Yeah. I think the greatest the the greatest thing that gives me confidence that AI won't take jobs is. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that it will actually create more jobs than it will take away. I think we've seen it with other forms of automation as well, where at the end of the day, we need people, admittedly, like myself, to build these machines that will automate certain activities that we're doing. There was a report by PwC that suggested that if my memory serves me correctly, AI will actually create about 10% more jobs than it will take away, which I think can give us a lot of hope, but also a challenge that we need to keep learning. We need to have what Professor Carol Dweck, um, who authored the book Mindset, calls a growth mindset and keep learning about these new technologies that, like AI that are being introduced in our world. For someone that is not as tech savvy as you, 
and he doesn't have a natural interest in development and coding and all those things. Do you think there's still going to be a space for them perhaps as the next iteration of the mechanic? They're going to be a robot repair shop or something instead. Do you see that sort of thing as the, as the sort of growth mindset that it will apply to people for hands-on work as well? I think that's certainly a possibility. There's other evidence that suggests as well that in the next, say, I won't put a time frame on it, but in the next, say, decades, people are going to have jobs that not only do we not have now, but we haven't even thought about now. There are jobs that don't exist today that will exist in decades' time. To try and predict what those jobs will be today, I think is quite challenging. It does sound more hopeful when you say, we don't even really know what jobs might be available. There's a whole new um, avenue and horizon of, of work opening up here. So I do think that's the person you quoted about the growth mindset might have a good point when it comes to this fear of um, employment and productivity. And I think the other thing that makes me more nervous about AI is the privacy angle. One of the reasons that, as I said earlier, I got rid of my smartphone is big tech companies are collecting so much data about us and they're doing so to, in their minds at least, make our experience better. As we move forward in such a connected world where we've got 5G connectivity, the internet of things, all of these technologies. I think the thing that concerns me is that if big tech companies don't value people's privacy and let people choose what data is collected about them, then a consequence of these big tech companies wanting to use AI is that in order to run these algorithms, they need to collect so much data about us that those byproducts of collecting so much data about data about us need to be thought about very carefully. And there's a bit of a theme in the past year or so with some documentary type films coming out that talk about this potential conflict of interest because the big tech companies have certain goals that don't necessarily align with our personal goals and even to do with sort of enticing you to use certain apps more by the way they're designed. So I think you raise a, a common nervousness about AI and big tech in general that if the goals that we have personally aren't aligned with those big powerful companies, then we might see um, things that we don't like in the future with the way our data is used and so forth. One of the goals on the 11th Hour podcast here, we want to see how work and faith mesh together. Um, so before we go too far down that path, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you, for someone who's listening and they're exploring faith, how would you describe the faith aspect of your life to them? That's a really good question, Darren. For me, I'm a Christian, and what that means is I follow Jesus Christ. For me, being a Christian is primarily about being a follower or what you might have heard, a disciple of Jesus. Disciple is a good word for it because it's got that idea of student, doesn't it? It so, does. And the fact that you put uh, Christ back into the middle of Christian, that sort of defines very clearly what you're about. Does this faith in Jesus have an impact on your thoughts on AI and how you deal with AI? It does. The first thing that comes to mind is AI, at the end of the day, is a tool, just like a knife is a tool. I can use a knife to cut up my veggies or I can use it to hurt someone. 
in the same way, AI is a tool that I can use for someone's benefit. Um, the cancer example that I gave earlier about using AI to better predict cancer from radiography images, or I can use AI um, in in bad ways. The, the thing that comes to mind there is George Orwell's book, 1984, um, from which John Lennox's book, 2084, um, gets its title. In Georgia, Orwell talks about this, um, it's a fictional book, but he talks about this state um, doing mass surveillance on all of its citizens. And you could use AI to, to do that sort of thing with tools like facial recognition. You could record people's sounds. And um, if, if they're talking about things that don't accord with the state's value system, then punish them in various ways. You can use AI for both good and bad things. And being a Christian gives me an ethical lens through which I can look at how I'm using AI both in my work and my personal life. You've touched on two of the really big points here. The future, where does AI take us? Um, but also that big um, everyday issue of ethics. So it's good that you highlight that in your thoughts. And I think that's one way in which we see um, this conversation relating to the idea of God and ethics and morality and all those things, they're sort of bigger than the technology. So that's been helpful for you to highlight that. And it's a good segue to talk about the event coming up for us, Better Than Us is the name of the AI event. If you were to attend the upcoming Engage AI event, what's one question you might ask the panel? Absolutely. One question that, that I'd love to ask the panel is, what can we be doing now, learning and growing as people to prepare for a future where AI is becoming more prevalent? How can, we, how can we best prepare for a future that is more and more affected by AI? It's a good question. I won't be able to pinch it on the night, though, because now we're on record. So <laughs> I think your question's safe if you get a chance to ask it. Well, Andy, thanks so much for coming in and speaking to me on this topic. I think I'm definitely much better informed than I was at the start of this conversation. Uh, do you reckon I'm in with a slim chance to get a tap on the shoulder from someone like Splunk as well on the night? What are my chances? I think I'd have to look at your resume and see, <laughs> and see what your other qualifications are, or I could build an artificial intelligence machine to look at your resume for me. Well, that's probably a, a kind answer there, Andy. I think the, the chances are slim to none, but I think it's still a success because I've learned a lot and I'm getting excited for this event that's coming up. So thank you so much for joining me, Andy. It's been most helpful. No worries. Thanks, Darren. You've been exploring how faith and work overlap on the 11th Hour podcast. Check out our website, engageworkfaith.org.au, to find resources on the topics we cover and keep up to date with our latest events. Thanks for joining us on this episode.